0: We're looking at Mark chapter 2 this morning, Mark chapter 2. It's quite common for people to have questions about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what does it look like to believe in him, to follow him. Lots of different questions that people can have, and those, those questions are good. And the Bible is able to give answers to those questions. Sometimes it changes what we ask and saying actually, you should be asking this, Uh, but yet the Bible is able to handle our hard questions of him. Unfortunately, sometimes uh, those questions are blurred in the name of religion. As we'll see today, the religious leaders had developed a a complicated view of what it looked like to, to follow God, and they were actually hindering people from coming to him, and that still can be the case today that religion actually confuses people and the answers that they, they give, saying, this is what you need to do, and you know, this is what you need to do. And in the midst of it all, I think the call for us is to come to God's word, to look at the person and life of Jesus Christ, and to say, what does he teach and show us what authentic Christianity is? And to not let someone's other idea distort or, or push someone away, but rather there is such a thing as authentic Christianity, and we should strive for it. We should seek to understand Jesus, who he is, and what he calls us to do, and to look for that authentic Christianity. That is what Jesus is teaching and showing again and again throughout this gospel. And in this passage today, we're going to see a number of interactions with the religious leaders and their confusion ideas of saying, this is what you need to do. And in the midst of it all, Jesus is saying, actually, this is what the truth is. And he does so with a number of different questions. And uh, we're going to look at those today, these questions, 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 these questions that were asked of Jesus, and then Jesus responds often with a question, and that's really insightful. Even thinking about, as they're criticizing him and have these questions to him, he often begins the response with a question of them. And we're going to look at those uh, from uh, chapter 8 to 18 through into chapter 3. Really, chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 3, verse 6 is one unit. There's five different interactions with Jesus and the religious leaders. And in each of these, he's teaching something about himself, about what it looks like to believe and to follow him. And we're going to pick up here in verse 18 with this question, and see how Jesus responds to that. So the first question is this, why do Jesus' disciples not fast? There in verse 18, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. That was common, that's what they did. Then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they're asking this of Jesus, hey, why do your disciples not fast? So this was common in that day for them to fast. If we look in the law of Moses, we would see that only on the day of atonement were Israel commanded to fast. So one day a year. There were other times when the nation of Israel, whether it's in crisis or tragedy, they would choose to fast or someone's personal choice and something going on in their lives. And often there's a sign of sorrow or mourning, sometimes of seeking the Lord. Usually in this, they were giving up the food and the time it took to prepare it, to spend that seeking God. and So we need to keep this in mind. The law only required one time, one day out of the year of fasting. But the Pharisees and their disciples fasted often. In, In fact, in the teaching of the Pharisees, they fasted every Monday and Thursday from dawn till dusk. They would eat before that, after, and they made a show of it. You knew when they were fasting, they looked like they were hungry. Uh, They like to draw attention to that. Uh, Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6. And and so they they, they were fasting, and it's not that they couldn't fast, per se. There could be a time for that, but they were imposing this upon others. Remember what we looked at last week with the Pharisees, how the Pharisees had initially this desire, we need to obey God's law. But what they did in response is in their interpretation of it, they put the outer boundaries of against God's about God's law, saying, This is what it looks like to obey God's law. This is what you have to do. And so notice, God's law said, fast one, one day a year. If you want to choose to otherwise or with a group of people, you can. But they were saying, Well, you have to fast in order to be spiritual, in order for God to accept you. And they did these outer or these external works and neglected some of the righteousness and truth that they should have had in their hearts. And so this is the attitude that they're coming with Jesus, saying, well, how come your disciples don't fast? Are they really that spiritual if you don't fast? And Jesus answers with a question. Notice what he says there in verse 19. "Can the friends of the bridegroom either the groom's attendants or even just wedding guests, can they fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Do you fast when you go to a wedding reception? (laughs) 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 No, it's not the time to fast. It's a time to celebrate, to rejoice. And weddings in that day were often a week-long festival, and the food and drink would be provided. And he's saying, do you go to that? And you say, no, not today, I'm fasting. No, this is a time for rejoicing. It's not a time for fasting and sorrow. It's a time for joy. And Jesus goes on to give several illustrations after this. He's saying the bridegroom, by implication, he's the bridegroom. He's there. It's a time for joy. He's going to be taken away, verse 20, and then there'll be times for fasting. But right now it's a time for joy, uh, indicating, I think, as well, just alluding to his death uh, at some point in the future. And so he gives two different illustrations here. The first one is in verse 21 If you're going to patch old clothes, do you take new cloth and put it into that the old garment? And we're, we're pretty spoiled. Most of our clothes and fabric is pre, pre, pre-washed, pre-shrunken, if I can use that word. It's not going to shrink after it's put in. But this is what they're dealing with. They've had some cloth in the garment that had already shrunk through time, and then they had new cloth that hadn't shrunk. And so if they would patch that old garment with this cloth that hadn't shrunk, in time it would tear and rip it. Rip the old garment. Rip out the patch. Wouldn't hold. So he's saying, Do you put something new in something old? No. He gives another illustration, verse twenty-two. And they would use animal skins to hold wine, and as they put the new wine in it, these new wineskins would expand as the fermentation process began, and the new wineskins could take that. But after they had expanded once. Uh, they, they wouldn't expand. They got it a bit hard. And so if they would try to use this these wineskins again and put new wineskins, new wine in, that wineskin could not expand again, and it would burst. And so the wine would just be spilled out. So again, notice the illustration. Do you do something new and something old? No, you don't. And so Jesus here, I think he's just giving this indication. He doesn't develop this much here, but he's saying, The coming of Jesus is something new. It's not just a reworking of Judaism. He is teaching his truth, what it looks like to believe and follow Jesus. And with the coming of Jesus, there's great joy. Why should this be a time of fasting and sorrow? Because Jesus is here. And so he answers them, the presence of Jesus brings joy, not sorrow. There's a time for fasting. It should be individual. You could look at the or voluntary. You could look at the early church in Acts chapter 13, how they fasted before they sent out Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, I believe, as missionaries. So there's a time and a place for that. But I think the overall emphasis, we think about Jesus, certainly he's not here on this earth, but he's here with every believer. And so his presence should be one that gives joy to us. And this, this thought, I think this application really challenged me this past week. Do our re- lives reflect the joy of Jesus? Do our lives reflect more sorrow or do they reflect more joy? And it doesn't mean that there's not sorrow and heartache in this life. There is. And, and we face that. We have to walk through that. There's times of mourning, but the presence of Jesus should give us joy. You look in the New Testament, And you can see again and again the joy that God offers that's apart from one's circumstances that should be reflective in one's life. And I think this is what Jesus is teaching. He's saying, I have come, I have come so that people can have joy that goes beyond their circumstances. And the disciples here should rightfully reflect this joy. That's why they don't fast at this time second question is this, why do Jesus' his disciples break the Sabbath? Why do they break the Sabbath? Look in verse 23, Jesus and his disciples were going through a grain field on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. So they're walking through, they they take a little bit of grain off the, the heads of the stalk there, and, and the idea is they're not just picking it, they're rubbing it between their hands to get it out of get the kernels out of, I don't know the exact terminology, out of the shell, and then they're eating it. So, so they're having a little snack as they go through the fields on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees were watching, and they ask and say, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath day? If you look in the law about the Sabbath, God told Israel you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And then he gives, gives some illustrations there uh, some that they would not to kindle fire for cooking, to gather f- fuel, carry burdens, or transact business. And the overall idea is that you don't do extra things. You're not going to start out a new project on the Sabbath day. This is a time for rest. Uh, this is a time for worship. And God gave the Sabbath to the nation of Israel for their good, for their enjoyment. And remember, and just like the Pharisees and uh, fasting, the Pharisees and the Sabbath. God made, made it pretty clear what they should and shouldn't do and, and to think through that. And there, in attempts to clarify this, they listed 39 things that someone couldn't do on the Sabbath day. It says list of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And among them was harvesting or reaping. And that was what was in their mind with against Jesus and his disciples that they were harvesting on the Sabbath. Now, that would take a long time to harvest the field, picking a little bit with your hands. Were they harvesting? No. They were fully within the bounds of right what they could do on the Sabbath. And uh, the Pharisees were again criticizing according to their standard. And so Jesus responds, notice again, with a question, and he div- uh, appoints uh um, points them to scripture. There in verse 25. Have you never read what David did when he was hungry, he and those with him? You could read about this in 1 Samuel 21, verses one through nine. And there David is fleeing from King Saul and he has some of his men from them. King Saul wants to kill him and he comes to the tabernacle. And it was during the time when Abiathar served as a priest And he said, hey, we're we're famished, we're in need, do you have any food here? And Abiathar said, no, there's no food here except the showbread. So let's go to a picture of the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, uh, this was in the holy place, this is the Ark of the Covenant here, this was called the table of showbread. And each week, they would bake 12 loaves of bread, I believe in love and bread, and they would place that on that. And they would be there on there for a week. And then after on the Sabbath, they would switch them out. And then the priest could eat them. So this is the bread that he's talking about. Thing. And, and the law said this was just for the priests. okay, And, and so David says, you know what? We're in great need. And uh, Beathar says, the only food we have here is this bread. And David says, okay, we'll take it. And Jesus says David was within his rights to be able to do that. Why? Because he's meeting a human need. Yeah, the law didn't say well David could, in a time of need, and it didn't need to specify all of that. This was uh, this was a right. If there was a rightful application of that, and Jesus reinforces this that David was right to be able to do so. Why? Because this met a genuine, legitimate need in his life at that time. And he goes on to challenge the Pharisees, saying, you have gone about this all wrong. The Sabbath, God gave that as a gift to Israel to rest, to enjoy their relationship with God, and you've turned it into a burden. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Look in just a moment... Well what can you do on the Sabbath? And they'd made it such a burden and Jesus says in verse 27 the Sabbath was made for man it was made for their benefit it was for their good and Jesus he's the son of man that title ascribed him verse 28 he's the lord of the Sabbath he's the one in charge that knows what you can or can't do on the Sabbath he's fully within his rights And in each of these interactions with Jesus and the religious leaders, what is emphasized is the authority of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. In doing so, he's claiming to be God. He's saying, I know how the Sabbath should be interpreted. And you're off base here in doing so. The Sabbath is for people's good. It's easy to confuse this, We'll make some comments about Sunday in just a little bit, but I want to draw attention from a farmer boy. This was Laura Ingalls Wilder writing this about her husband, Almanzo when he was a young boy, and they would go to church in the morning on Sundays and take care of the chores and then have dinner, and he, right, she wrote this. After dinner, Eliza, Jane, and Alice, that was his sisters, did the dishes. But father and mother and Royal, his older brother, and Almanzo did nothing at all. The whole afternoon, they sat in the drowsy, warm dining room. Mother read the Bible, and Eliza, Jane, read a book, and father's head nodded till he woke with a jerk, and then it began to nod again. Royal fingered the wooden chain that he could not whittle, and Alice looked for a long time out the window, and Almanzo just sat. He had to. He was not allowed to do anything else, for Sunday was not a day for working or playing. It was a day for going to church and sitting still. He was glad when it was chore time. (laughs) I think it's a little off the mark, saying this is what we should do on Sunday. And I don't think this Sunday replaces the Sabbath. I've taught on this at other times. You could ask questions about that. Uh, The Sabbath is not uh, for us today. This would have been Saturday. But Sunday, I think, very core, just a couple of comments. One, it should be a priority of worship. It should be the priority of Sunday. And I think it it can rightly be the day of rest for us in our lives in many, many situations. The pattern of rest, that we need rest, is there in Scripture. But I think we need to keep this in mind. Even as we keep to seek those priorities... We need to be careful that we don't just list it with a bunch of don't, 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 that it stops being a joy and delight in our relationship with God. Yes, there's a a value in stopping our work and trusting the Lord with that. We need the priority of worship. Uh, But we should do so with with, uh, the attitude of enjoying our relationship with God and the good gifts that he's given. Welcome more discussion on this, but the main thing here we need to see Jesus' disciples did not break the Sabbath. They were fully within their bounds in doing so. Now Jesus goes on the offensive, as it were, and he asks this question in a sense, What can you do on the Sabbath? Verse chapter 3, verse 1 he entered the synagogue again. This would be a time from the other gospels that he taught them, likely in Capernaum, somewhere in Galilee. And there was a man there who had a withered hand. And uh, the the Pharisees, from verse 6, these are the ones who were watching him closely. Notice they knew that he could heal. They were convinced of that. They were wondering, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? And part of their teaching about the Sabbath, you could go against the rules only in order to save a life, only if someone is in great danger. And so they're looking at this man. He has a withered hand. It's stiff, it's deformed in some way, his, his right hand, Luke tells us. And his life is not in danger. And so the Pharisees are looking with this critical attitude. If he heals, he's doing something against the Sabbath because this guy doesn't need to be healed on the Sabbath. He could be healed another day. And Jesus makes a point of this. I mean, he calls this guy up right in the middle of them and draws attention to him saying, Look at him here. Is it right to help him? And he asks these questions there in verse four. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill? Should I help him on the Sabbath? Can I do good on the Sabbath? Notice how he's asking them this question, really, what can you do on the Sabbath? Is it right to be able to heal this man on the Sabbath? And they didn't answer a word. Their minds, no, they shouldn't. He shouldn't heal on the Sabbath, this man. And in doing so, by, by their own religious standards, they're looking with this critical spirit against Jesus, and they're, they're waiting to condemn him. And because the Pharisees were not willing to show compassion to this man in his time of need, really they're trying, doing this, they're keeping people at arm's length. They're saying, no, you can't come near." They're presenting this false view of who God is when God is a God of compassion, a mercy, of care. And Jesus, he totally could have waited till the next day to heal this man. But he knows that it is good and right. It is not breaking the Sabbath to heal him on this day. And so he tells the man, stretch out your hand. What an amazing moment that would have been. He stretched out his hand and was made whole. Jesus did good on the Sabbath. And I think that's the essence that Jesus is answering. One can do good on the Sabbath. Certainly it's a time of rest, a time of worship, but to do good. But notice the Pharisees' response. They went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. The Herodians were people, Jews, who were for Herod, the king. That wasn't very common in that day for a Jew to be pro-Herod. Herod, Herod, uh, the half-Jewish king who was under the Roman government. Normally, the Pharisees would have nothing to do with the Herodians. But they had a common enemy, enemy, Jesus, and so they plotted with them how they might destroy him. It's the idea of how to get rid of him, how to kill him. Notice the irony here. They're so concerned against someone breaking the Sabbath, but they're willing to plot murder on the Sabbath. It's not righteousness and truth that they're for. It's for their own ideas. And so they're against him, And this takes place really during the first year of Jesus's ministry. And so you see this opposition against him happening really soon. It wasn't just in the last days that people were like, ah, we don't know what to do with Jesus. Let's try to get rid of him. Let's kill him. Early on, as they opposed him, they went to this place. We need to get rid of him. We need to destroy him. You've all probably been part of conversations or observed them where you start talking and you see people talking and they're disagreeing and it turns to arguing and then escalates like super quick and people are at each other. It's like, wow, that escalated quickly. That's the idea here. It's like you're just disagreeing over what you can do on the Sabbath and the next thing you do, you want to get rid of him. But this shows the hard-heartedness of them towards him. That's why he was so grieved at them, as they were not willing to listen to Jesus and his authority. They weren't willing to answer, receive the answers that he gave to their questions. And yes, we should bring our questions to Jesus, but we also need to make sure that we receive his answers. Do we accept his authority and what he teaches and how he shows us, this is what it looks like to believe in me and to follow me. This is what it looks like for authentic Christianity. It's not going to be the last confrontation by any means. Jesus is teaching little by little in all these different areas. This is who I am. This is what God expects. This is what it looks like to believe and follow me. And the call for us as well is to believe in him and follow him, to accept his teaching and to build our lives upon it as he's shown it to us in his word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the authority of Jesus. You're able to handle those hard questions, those difficult questions that we bring. Sometimes we need to be reoriented and say, you know, it's actually this that you need to be asking. And thank you for how Jesus shows us what authentic Christianity looks like. What it looks like to believe and to follow Jesus, and I pray that each one here would know Christ as their Savior, and they would choose to follow him with their lives, and they would take seriously your word and build our lives upon it. Thank you for the joy that Jesus gives, even though we face a lot of hard things in our lives, help us to reflect this joy, knowing that in Christ our sins are forgiven knowing that in Christ you never leave us nor forsake us, knowing that in Christ through the trials you're doing something good, conforming us more to your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these truths. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.